I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade and on this week's Archive Edition, we return to 2013 and director Clio Barnard's reimagining of Oscar Wilde's famous fairy tale, The Selfish Giant. Well, I guess I see it as a love story, really. It's a, but it's a fr- about a friendship between two boys. And I guess they are, um, they're trying, struggling to come of age. This was a follow-up and a kind of sister film to Clio's experimental BAFTA-nominated documentary, The Arbor. In The Selfish Giant, she recasts Wilde's fairy tale in the estates of Bradford. Reckon we could get that cable off at Pylon? It's too risky. Think up money, though, Swifty. Come on, man. Can't do it on my own. Hey, Swifty. I like it. Meet me first thing, 6am. I want you to have a go at driving diesel on road. See what you can do. All right. Never shy of dealing with tough subject matter, this is a film with a big emotional punch and incredible, brilliant debut performances from its young teenage cast. I caught up with Clio in the catacombs of a cinema in central London. This is your second film, but in, in some ways it's kind of like a, a second debut, I suppose, because you're going from the documentary to the feature film genre. Yeah, it'd be great if I could just continue to debut each, each film. But um, yeah, I guess technically speaking, it isn't a debut because the other, because the, uh, you know, the Arbor's a, a feature length film. Um, and yeah, it's this kind of hybrid between documentary and fiction. Um, and yeah, this is a much more straightforward fictional narrative film. And I suppose in terms of, for me, that was something that I hadn't done before and I didn't know whether I could do it, um, you know, from writing the script to, to directing the actors. And yeah, so it was, uh, it, you know, it was a challenge in a brilliant way. Oh, no, not him. You've been excluded, Fenton. Easy now. I'm calling security. I think quite often one film grows out of another, and this definitely grew out of the arbor. After I'd finished the arbor, I think I'd always had this thing in the back of my mind that I wanted to do this um, contemporary adaptation, very loose adaptation of this Oscar Wilde fairy story. And I guess from making the arbor and meeting kids and getting to know kids and then being around the set and one child in particular called Matty um, and his best friend Michael that I knew who the children in the story could be 
Um, but it took it took a while to figure out who the giant could be. But this boy, Matty, and his best friend, Michael, worked for a guy who was a dodgy scrap man, basically. And um, and there was a real ambiguity about whether he was giving them opportunities or exploiting them. And so that was a big part of the inspiration and, and trying, to, in some ways, to put that together with this Oscar Wilde fairy story was, you know, the jumping-off point for the film. Got that bridle too tight on that horse. Mm-hmm. Let me come sorry out for you. You're a bad influence, Benson! Go, 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 go! Go, go, go! I know where we can get some cable. Well, it makes us go faster, though, yeah? Yeah, man! Well, I guess I see it as a love story, really. It's a, but it's a fr- about a friendship between two boys. And I guess they are... Um, they're trying, struggling to to come of age, and they've got really no male role models around them. And they've happened upon this guy called uh, Kitten, who's a scrap man. And it's really about the impact of getting involved with that man and really working for him, um, the impact that that has on their relationship, and really that uh, from meeting him, their relationship unravels with sort of kind of tragic, tragic consequences. There was a real palpable sense of tension, you know. I mean, you could even you could kind of half feel it, and I, and I didn't even I, I didn't even realise why that why that was. That was deliberate, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's deliberate, and I guess that's built up through well through you know the writing of the story, and then the um, and then the editing, and uh, and also the sound. So there are narrative elements I think that build that up, obviously, but there's there's also something with the sound I think that gradually gradually builds. There's also, and again, maybe this a lot of this kind of came together in, in the editing or, or in the script writing, but there's, I, I would describe it, you know, as we've talked about fairy tales, that there is, a, there is a, lot, a strong sense of darkness, but obviously you must have included you know moments of hope like I could say one moment that struck me at the beginning was the beautiful the horses on the field with with the stars in the sky you know that 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 was the most fairy tale moment I think I see other fairy tale moments in there that um so you know Arbor slays the giant and 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 the giants he steals the giant's treasure which is not gold it's copper so and the giant sets in an, an impossible task which is to dig up this buried buried treasure and you know there's a moment where um arba kind of busts the princess out of the castle and he turns up on his horse <laughs> but but this is him busting his mate swifty out of the school so um you know there there are elements there that i think are a, a bit in narrative terms that i think are a bit fairy taleish and in terms of the way it relates to the original story i think the even though it's very different from the original story I think there are some things that are still still there. So the original story is about the wounds of love, and I think this is about the wounds of love, and it's about excluding children and and the the kind of what get lo- what gets lost when you exclude children. I suppose it's a Victorian fairy story, and, and perhaps we might idealise children from the from the past. But the, it seems to me that the children who get excluded now are kids like 
Arbor and Swifty or Matty and mm-hmm. Michael and the kids who were, uh, you know, around us when we were making the Arbor. And I, I think we exclude them at our peril. And I guess they're, you know, more than being excluded, I think they're also uh, criminalised. Um, and there are so so few opportunities for those for those boys and and so few uh, role models for them, I think, male role models. I, I suppose going back to the idea of hope, which is sort of following on what you're saying, is that it seems inevitable in the film that they're going to get chucked out of school and it seems inevitable that their families aren't going to support them in, in their moment of need. But there, as you say, the, in, in this kind of fantastical, little fantastical elements, there, there is some hope. Well, I think their families do support them. Like I think the, the, the mothers in both families are incredibly supportive of both boys. That you know they're fighting like crazy against the odds to to support their kids. You know, so Swifty's mum is telling him to go to school, and Arba's mum is desperately trying to sort of help him to get get him to school but you know that I think what they're up against is too big for for them to be able to kind of contend with so I I think I think their families are there for them and doing their best for them in those circumstances and I was like oh there's some hope yeah well I guess I think Arba Arba's love for Swifty I think is incredibly hopeful and I think you know, I'm sure Matty would absolutely die of embarrassment if I described what he felt for Michael as being anything like love. But, um, you know, and actually somebody asked me this question, what was it that enchanted you? Which I actually thought was quite a good way of putting it if you're thinking about a fairy tale. And it was really Matty's love for Michael that enchanted me. And and I think that that's the hope that's, that's at the heart of the film. And I... I think the ending is hopeful and you know I wanted the ending to be as open as possible but um for me the ending's hopeful because I think you understand that Arbor is not going to emulate Kitten's selfishness and greed mm. that that something's shifted for him and something's changed and I think Mrs Mrs Swift's forgiveness is also incredibly hopeful Interested to know uh, influences. I mean, one film, and I think you've, you've mentioned this yourself, that comes to mind instantly is Kez. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Kez, I think, is an is a very clear sort of reference point. And as well, it was, for, you know, it, in some ways, it partly came out of watching films with my kids. You know, so The Bicycle Thieves and uh, 400 Blows and Kez and um, The Kid with the Bike and an Iranian film called The Apple, so, which are all sort of realist films but that use metaphor. And, and so it's definitely within that, within that tradition of filmmaking. And I think with Kez, you know, it was, it was made in 69. Uh, so, you know, I think 40 years later to, to, to kind of think about what, a kid that might be a bit like Billy in um, Cares might be contending with now. Mm. You know, I guess I think it's a good good time to look again at what at what kids can't go down the pit anymore. <laughs> what what life might be like for them. What? What? You can handle it better than that. What are you doing? It's holding his reins too tight. What? He's holding his reins too tight, he's pulling it back. Loose up reins. Whoa. 
would you learn that? Second took road races when I was younger. Was was there ever was there ever sort of did you ever come across a line where you thought that's too bleak? You know, the characters shouldn't go that far. <clears throat> uh, it's funny because because I don't see the film as being that bleak, to be honest. And I know I know people. Some people. I mean, I've read reviews and people say think it's really bleak. And then also equally, people will say they think it's really beautiful. And I don't think they just mean. Mm the way it's you know the way it looks i think they mean the relationship between the boys and um it's you know it's based on people that i've got to know and become very fond of and also some of the other things that happen in it are things uh, from uh, about the copper thefts are from newspaper articles so it's not you know th- this is stuff that's happen- happening mm. and i don't think we should turn away from it i think that would be the wrong thing to do do you think that's going to become I mean, you've only done two films, but you, that, that's the sort of path you're starting to, to walk down. Is, is it one that you're going to go further with, do you think? Um, I, I don't know. It's quite hard to say, but it's but in The Selfish Giant grew very directly out of the arbor. And so I think those two films have a relationship with each other. And I think the next film isn't, isn't coming, isn't kind of um, growing in the same way, I suppose, in that the people have come to me with things and said, you know, would you, would you be interested in making this film? So then, so it's a kind of um, the starting point for the next two things that I'm working on is is different. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the making of the film. We, we've mentioned the two boys. <laughs> I, I think it was it was you, you found one of them very easily, but the other one was a little bit more of a struggle to kind of discover. Yeah. So Connor Connor was uh, the casting director. Amy saw him on the first day, and then yeah, it took longer to find Sean and also actually we swapped them around because to begin with Connor was cast as Swifty and we were looking for an arbor and then at a certain point it became clear that it that Sean could be Swifty and Connor could be arbor and I I you know I it, it's kind of hard now to imagine it any other way you know I'm really glad that 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 inspiration came, and, but the, and the rest of the cast did they did they did they kind of come quite naturally? Did you, were you given a lot of help to try and find them? Um, well, Amy Hubbard is a she's a brilliant casting director. So I guess she was I don't know one of a better term. She was sort of putting people in front of me, or I was meeting actors who were who were who were brilliant. So yeah, it did it did happen quite easily, and and I think you know they were really brilliant bunch of actors that the the adult actors very experienced and incredibly generous in terms of in terms of working with the kids and giving Mm. giving the kids what they needed in a way for the for the kids to respond to and also so much of my um attention was on the children that you know the adult actors that was really about um trusting them to do what they do brilliantly (laughs) And yeah, I mean, it was it was wonderful. And Siobhan Finneran was in Rita Sue and Bob too, and I really wanted her to be in the Arbor, but um, but she, she, you know, she couldn't do it. So it was it was lovely to be able to cast her in this, you know. So I was pretty excited to meet her because of her connection to Andrea Dunbar and everything. And she, um, you know, she came in and said, I, "I really, really want to play Mrs. Swift," <laughs> and that was very that was very easy. That put that that in particular but um all of those adult actors I think are really wonderful I think um you know um Elliot uh Tissensor who plays 
Arba's brother. He's a, he's a really wonderful actor. Uh, as is Steve Everts, as is uh, Sean Gilder and Lorraine Ashbourne. You know, they're brilliant, brilliant actors. And Rebecca, Rebecca Manley, you know, they're, they're brilliant. And to have them in parts where, in terms of the amount of screen time, there's not necessarily that much screen time. I just, I guess I felt very lucky to have um, have that much sort of fire, I suppose, in terms of those the, the sort of calibre of performance. I think this, one of the things that really interests me is is the sort of murky territory between something that's real and the way you represent it, mm. and and I think that is there with this film, perhaps more in the in the process at which you know it was, it was everything was arrived at rather than actually. I don't think it's as obvious, I suppose, is what I'm saying, as as it is because I think in the arbor you're being constantly reminded this is a. It's constructed. It's constructed. It's constructed, and I think with um, the selfish giant, in some ways, it's the same. But but you're not being constantly reminded. So you know, the boy that it's that Arbor's based on, he's in the film for a little moment when he goes in with to the pub to get them someone to help him put the car on the cart. That's Matty who says, "Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll help you." And he's playing pool with Michael actually. Um, and then he comes out and helps his fictional self, you know, <laughs> put the car on the cart, which is something that Matty did, you know, that that he that I, he told me about that went into the film. So that there are some there are some layers there, but you wouldn't necessarily know them um, unless unless I told you, I suppose, or unless you knew something about the process. Moving to the final question, I mean, going back to the fairy tale, which is uh, where it all started. The um, for anyone who's read it, and, and I do recommend that people, as well as watching the film, go and read the go and, go and read the story. But it, it, at the end, it's very transformative. It's, um, I mean, it is entangled with religious imagery as well. But mm. it, it's a story you come away from with with a, a slight, I don't know, sort of slight sense of something bigger and 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 hopefully i think that's the same with same with the film you come away at slowly adding things up until you come to this i don't know a question maybe what my the question i think personally yeah. I, I came away from it was was who, who was the selfish giant oh, okay. which of the characters or the acts was the mm. selfish giant i mean is that something that you can see see in the film well i think um you know in, t- in a sort of more literal way the selfish giant is kitten um but I think um, I think it's a selfish ideology is the selfish giant. And, and, may, and maybe hopefully hopefully we, we, we will be a little bit as human beings a little bit less selfish after seeing this film. <laughs> yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the big plan. <laughs> well, congratulations! It's it's, it's such it's so so beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah. Mad for horses, you know. Trust me, mum. I will. Where off you go? Thanks to Clio for speaking to me and also thanks to composer Harry Escott for providing some of the film score which you heard throughout. Kate Muir of The Times said of the film, Britain has found a new director to be proud of and gave it a five-star review. It went on to win the Europa Cinema's Best European Film Award at Cannes, an incredible piece of filmmaking that is hard to shake off after viewing. I'm Ben Eshmade. 
Thanks for listening to this archived edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast, here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and theme series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.